Father in heaven, we are thankful, Lord, that the Holy Spirit has rested upon this place. We are on sacred ground. And as we linger here in this building of blessing, the rest of this day, listening to the Word of God presented. Father, may the words that are spoken make such an impression in our lives. We will leave this place different because of our encounter with You. So, Father, as we gather again for family worship this morning, we simply ask that Your Spirit would speak to our hearts once again. Thank You, Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lilius Trotter was raised in a wealthy home. She had a deep love for God from an early age in her life. Lilius was also given the tremendous gift as an artist. She recognized that this was given to her by her Heavenly Father. The famous art critic John Ruskin when he saw the work of Lilius, who at the time that Lilius lived, the art community was saturated with male work, and for a female to make a break into this was a big thing. And when John Ruskin saw the artwork of Lilius Trotter, he begged her to let him launch her career as an artist. He was a renowned art artist critic. And to have him take her under his wings was a tremendous thing. Lilius was very excited about the prospects of being mentored by John Ruskin. However, there was a catch. And the catch was that in order for her to achieve her artistic potential, she would have to give herself up completely to art. She wrestled with it for a few days, and then she penned these words, I see clear as daylight now. I cannot give myself to painting in the way he means and continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Her paintings are not hanging in the art galleries of the world today. They're filed away in the back room of a museum in Oxford, England. You want to see them, you will have to ask for them to be brought out to see them. However, the impact of Lilius Trotter's life is still being felt, where she spent the last 40 years of her life as a pioneer missionary to the Algiers of northern Africa. She knew her marching orders, and nothing was going to distract her from it. Lillian Trasher, young lady who in her youth told God, I will do anything you ask me to do. In her early 20s, she was engaged to a minister looking forward to life as a pastor's wife, when she sat in the audience and heard a message delivered from a missionary who had been serving in the country of India, and her heart was stirred to reach the unreached. Deeply impressed that God was calling her to work among the unreached people of Africa, she decided that she would answer that call. However, her fiancé did not feel that same call to the foreign mission field, and so she decided to break off her engagement. At 23 years old, she sold all of her possessions and sailed to 
Alexandria. And there opened up an orphanage in Egypt where she served for 50 years among Egypt's orphans. She became known as the mother of the Nile and had over 25,000 Egyptian young people come under her tutelage. Lillian Trasher knew her marching orders, and she wouldn't let anything, even marriage, keep her from doing it. David Livingston, the great missionary explorer of Africa, the interior of Africa, penned these words, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Patriarchs and Prophets and Kings, page 719, we are told these words. From no sect, rank, or class of people is the light shining from heaven's throne to be excluded. Somebody ought to say amen to that. The message of hope and mercy is to be carried to the ends of the earth. The gospel warrior knows no territory, knows no boundaries. The world is our mission field. Jesus said in those parting words before he left his disciples, go. Go ye into all the world, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Go, Jesus says. Now listen to me carefully this morning as I go through my message. I am in no way intending to give anybody a guilt trip. This is a message that God has been building in my heart for 10 years years. I'm simply sharing with you things that the Lord has convicted me on and pray that it is a blessing to you in the process. However, I hope that it comes across as just a little tap on the shoulder as a reminder that there are still two billion people in the world today who have not even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And I hope that as we think about our theme for Michigan Conference camp meeting as a witness that we think of it in broader contexts than just our district, our conference, our union, our division. The faceless millions of people in the world today are starving for a knowledge of what you have been feasting on for the past week. Yet we still hear thundered from our pulpits Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in, as a, uh, in all the world as a witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. We still hear thundered from our pulpits, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, that the everlasting gospel will go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that we are not fulfilling this task when we go on one or two week mission trips. They are important. And I felt my call into ministry on a two week mission trip. And I'm thankful for it. But where are the people who will go and live with, eat with, walk with, talk to, and befriend the billions of people in the world today who have never even heard the name of Jesus. I get it. It's comfortable here. It's what we're used to. We like our churches. We like mingling with people who think the way we do, act the way we do, dress the way we do, speak the way we do, and eat the way we do. We enjoy the worship services in our church, in our nice, comfortable buildings that are heated and air-conditioned. We enjoy having our theologically nuanced conversations in our Sabbath school class where we argue the finer points of theology, and that's okay. But we must never forget our marching orders. Have we overlooked 
what the Bible says, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, we have become spiritually obese in our country, have we not? Constantly taking, constantly taking, drawing to ourselves, I want more, I want more. Well, there are millions who are dying spiritually for lack of the gospel. Of course, Matthew, of course, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 is not the first time Jesus called his people to be a blessing to the world. Jesus invited Simon and Andrew when he invited them to follow him. And he told them in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, that he would make them fishers of men. Then later on in that same gospel, Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, Jesus commissioned the twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And then later on in the same gospel, Mark chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible tells us, and he called the twelve to him and began to send them out two by two. Sometimes I think we overlook the fact that God is a sending God. Amen? He's a God that is sending us out. As soldiers who are being recruited into the army of God, you can look at camp meeting as continuing ed. But as you leave this place, remember, God is a sending God. He's not satisfied with us constantly being trained over and over and over again. At some point, the recruits need to be unleashed and sent out into the field to do their master's bidding. And whether that territory is here in your district, whether it's in the conference, whether it's in the union, the division, or in the world church, leave that up to God to choose, but don't forget your marching orders. We're not here to go from one training session to another. Yes, we need to be equipped. Yes, we need to be instructed. Yes, we need to be trained. But there needs to come a point where we say, enough is enough, it's time to go. You look through the book of Acts, you see that there are people who had once an intimate relationship with Jesus, who walked with him and talked with him. And then in the gospel of, or in the book of Acts, we find them sent the far reaches of the world to spread the gospel, and as is recorded in Scripture, to turn the world upside down. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, I believe that this passage of Scripture is foundational to Matthew chapter 28, the great gospel commission. Jesus is, God is talking here to Abram, familiar words that we have read once before. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, or you could Interpret that out of your comfort zone. And from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. We should be praying and saying, Lord, show us the land that you want us to go to. And then listen to this. And I will make of thee a great nation. And listen, I will what? Bless thee. And make thy name great, and don't miss this next part, and thou shalt be a what? A blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be what? Blessed. Abraham was blessed so that in turn he could be a blessing. And that is foundational to the gospel commission. We first receive the blessings from God. The disciples were blessed by Jesus as they were, or as they were mentored by him for three and a half years. But now Jesus said, it's enough. Go and be a blessing to the world. And in thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. You want a good chapter to read sometime? I would draw your attention to the chapter 
and Prophets and Kings, chapter 59, the House of Israel. It is a fascinating chapter in light of what we are going to study. Read you a statement from Prophets and Kings from this very chapter, page 703. It says this, listen, this promise, talking about Genesis 12, this promise of blessing should have met fulfillment in large measure during the centuries following the return of the Israelites from the land of their captivity. It should have been what? Fulfilled. Now listen. It was God's design that the whole earth be prepared for the what? For the first advent of Christ, even as today the way is preparing for his what? Second coming. Don't miss this. God's intention of blessing Abraham and his seed was to prepare the world for the first coming of Jesus. That was the purpose of the blessing. Yes, they were blessed. Yes, they received monetary blessing and physical blessing and health blessing. There are many blessings that came to the Israelites. But the purpose that God blessed them was so that the world could be ready when Jesus came the first time. Does that sound familiar? What is our purpose? Are we here to just come to camp meeting after camp meeting after camp meeting after camp meeting to be blessed? What is our purpose? What are our marching orders? Is, are our marching orders to go back home to our churches and sit in the pew week after week and ask and pray that the preacher will preach a better message next week than he did the week before? That's not our marching orders, brothers and sisters. And I want to tell you something this morning. The devil is doing everything within his demonic power to keep you distracted from fulfilling your marching orders. And we see it played out very clearly in the life of the Israelites. Purpose was to prepare Jesus or prepare the world for the first coming of Christ. Unfortunately, they didn't do a very good job of that. Suppose you had something that you wanted to give to somebody else who was in need. Maybe they lived in another part of the world or another part of our country. And so you went down to the FedEx office and you packaged up that thing, put it in a box, put a label on top of it, wrote the address, return address, gave it to the FedEx worker and paid him to deliver that box. Now suppose that same FedEx worker took that box home with him that night, opened it up, and kept it for himself. Would you appreciate that? You want it to be a blessing. And what did he do? He sabotaged it. He interceded it, and he kept it for himself. I ask you the question this morning, are you a good FedEx employee? God has given the Seventh-day Adventist church a blessing. We are a blessed people. God has given us a fabric and understanding of theological things and the gospel truth that is out of this world. God has blessed us more than we deserve. Are we being good FedEx employees? He has not given it to you merely to benefit you. Yes, that is part of it. But he has given it to you so that you can be a blessing to the world. And as long as we keep waiting for denominationally paid employees to finish this work, we're going to be here for a long time to come. There are two traps, in my humble opinion, maybe there are others, There are two traps that I believe the devil tries to catch us in to keep us from our marching orders. The first one is worldliness. It wasn't long after Israel made the trek across the wilderness and finally entered into the promised land for them to become seducted by the worldliness of the heathen nations around them. This seduction grew over the years 
until they became so enamored with the heathen methods of worship that the Bible records in Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 16 that they were basically worshiping the pagan son in the house of God. Worldliness was alluring to the Israelites. And yes, God always had his remnant people during that time. But don't forget, Abraham's seed, all of his seed was blessed so that they could be a blessing. And the devil was distracting them with the worldliness that was all around them. Many sermons have been preached on this, so I will not belabor the point. But the great American dream is very alluring. To live a comfortable life in a comfortable home, going to a comfortable church, having a comfortable retirement, and being laid in a comfortable casket. Brothers and sisters, I think God has something different for his people. The trap of worldliness is something we always need to be careful about. But I want to talk about another trap that I think is even more insidious. And that is the trap of isolation. What I call it? Listen to these words of Scripture, Zechariah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Scripture says, And I will cause the remnant of this people. Now, let me just give you the background of this, okay? Israel had already gone into Babylonian captivity at this point. They are in the process of coming out of their Babylonian captivity. Why did they go into Babylonian captivity? Because of, listen to me carefully, because of conformity to the world. And I don't want you to remember, I don't, I don't want you to forget the statement that I read yesterday that the reason why persecution does not exist today is because the church has largely conformed to the world. And I believe that God brought persecution upon Israel in the form of Babylonian captivity to turn their eyes back upon him. And so we find these words recorded. The Bible says, and I will cause the remnant of the people to possess all of these things. And it shall come to pass that as ye were a curse among the heathen, O house of Judah, and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Man, we serve a good God. Amen? Amen. How patient he is. For so long, Israel was enamored with worldliness, misrepresenting God, and holding the blessings that he had given to them to themselves. Yet God persevered with them. He didn't just cast them to the side and try to find somebody else to fulfill that. He says, no, I will save you and use you to be a blessing. Praise God for that. That's encouraging to me because I know I often fall I often make mistakes in my life, and I'm thankful that God is still willing to invest in me and use me to be a blessing in the world. Now listen to this statement here. Prophets and Kings, page 705. Listen carefully. By Babylonian captivity, the Israelites were effectively cured of their worship of graven images. After their return, they gave much attention to religious instruction and to the study of that which had been written in the book of the law and in the prophets concerning the worship of the true God. Is this good so far? Yes or no? Absolutely. There was a revival. There was a reformation. They found the word of God. They began to read the word of God. They began to study the word of God and apply it in their lives. There was a revival that happened. But she goes on, the seasons of prosperity that followed gave ample evidence of God's willingness 
to accept and forgive. And yet, with fatal short-sightedness, they turned again and again from their glorious destiny and selfishly approbated to themselves that which would have brought healing and spiritual life to countless multitudes. There's two traps that the devil tries to catch us in to nullify our witness and to keep us from fulfilling our marching orders. One is the seduction of worldliness. The other is isolation. Israel had seen the results of worldliness. They had tasted the consequences of flirting with the world. And so in an effort to try to stay as far away from that, they insulated themselves from the heathen. From the very people that God was calling them, listen to me carefully, calling them to so that they could have a knowledge that the Messiah was coming. Isolation. They kept it to themselves. They cut themselves off from the nations around them. They kept themselves pure, if you would, and separate from the wicked influences of the heathen nations. And in a sense, they built a wall of separation between them and the people that God had called them to be a witness to. Very insidious. Ellen White continues on page 708. She says, The chosen people did not become the light of the world, but shut themselves away from the world as a safeguard against being seduced into idolatry. The restrictions which God had given were so perverted as to build a wall of partition between the Israelites and all the other people, thus shutting from others the very blessing which God had commissioned Israel to give to the world. Lord, have mercy. You've heard the old adage, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Yes, we need to be careful of worldly influences. Yes, we need to be careful that those worldly influences do not become our practices. Yes, we need to be careful in that regard. But brothers and sisters, we also have to be careful that we are not isolating ourselves from those who need to be reached. God has given us a message of salvation Yes, he could have done it with angels. Yes, he could have done it himself. But he chose rather to do it through you and through me. And we ought to think of that as a high calling in our lives. Instead, Israel didn't talk to the Gentiles. They didn't spend time with the Gentiles. They considered them unclean. In short, They didn't have any love for the Gentiles. They were infatuated with themselves as the chosen people. Go with me in your Bibles to a passage that I find very encouraging. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11 It almost seems like Satan was successful at foiling God's attempt to bless the people of this earth through his followers. Yet the Old Testament prophet Malachi tells us this, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11, from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Somebody should say amen to that. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. That's a promise. My name shall be great. No longer will my name be trampled under unholy feet. No longer will my name be used as a form of curse. My name shall become great. How is this going to happen? 
Prophets and Kings, page 713, tells us that which God purposed to do for the world through Israel, his chosen nation, he will finally accomplish through his church on earth today. Listen to me carefully, brothers and sisters. We need to study where Israel failed and by God's grace say, I'm going to be a success. Not in my own strength, not in my own power, not to bring glory to me, but to bring glory to God. The mantle has been handed to you. God is saying, look at where Israel failed. Now it's time for you to be a success. God will accomplish Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11, I believe with all my heart, with the Seventh-day Adventist church. My name shall be great among the heathen. Now this is all fine and well for us to say. It sounds good. Kind of beat our chest. We're the ones that are going to do it. But what does this look like? According to the most recent statistics that I could find, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is currently in 213 of 235 nations recognized by the UN. That's something that we ought to rejoice about. Current church membership, as you well know, 21, 20 to 21 million people. These are great things, and I'm as proud of them as you are. Well, let's continue painting this picture according to the Joshua Project, which is a website that keeps track of world evangelization. There are 17,000 people groups in the world today, 7,000 of which are considered as reached people. The 10,000 people groups that are considered unreached number somewhere in the 2 to 3 billion people, some 41% of the earth's population. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in, the, in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. I remember just like it was yesterday, I was standing in the airport, at an airport in the Philippines. I'd just gone on my first mission trip, 18 years old, just giving my heart to the Lord. And it was a whirlwind experience as I saw poverty in a way that I'd never seen it before, but I saw hungering and thirsting after righteousness like I'd never seen it before. I remember just like it was yesterday watching the sugarcane trucks piled with people, one truck after another after another, coming to the meetings every night. And you couldn't bribe Americans in their air-conditioned cars to come to a prophecy seminar. And I remember standing in that airport, fresh in my experience with God, and having that passage of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14 reverberate in my mind. And at that young age, I decided if I'm going to do anything, I want to help hasten the coming of Jesus. And if the Bible says the gospel has to go to all the world before Jesus comes back, then I better get about my father's business. That changed the course and the direction of my life forever. And I pray that that well-worn-out passage will be something that will reverberate in our minds as well. Did you know that the North American division has more ministers than the Middle East North Africa Union has members? They're similar in population. The Middle East North Africa Union is home to some of the largest cities in the world, like Istanbul, Turkey, with 15 million people that just has a very tiny Adventist presence. The Middle East North Africa Union is home to the country of Iraq with 81 million people with virtually no Seventh-day Adventists. I'm just telling you stuff that the Lord's been working on my heart for over the past 10 years. William Borden once said, 
If ten men are carrying a log, nine on the little end and one on the very large and heavy end, and you want to help, which end will you lift? Today we are pumping out workers, and they keep running over to the little tiny end. And yet there are a few over here that are holding the very heavy end, and they're getting tired. Don't forget your marching orders. This gospel will be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then the end will come. The field is greater than your district. The field is greater than your conference, your union, your division. The field knows no boundaries. It is the world. In my humble opinion, and I will be corrected if I need to be, I believe that there needs to be a fundamental shift in the distribution of our workers. We need to be inspiring our members to go to the far reaches of the world and to help in the proclamation of the three angels' message that God has given to us. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not suggesting that every worker in North America needs to leave because there's a work that needs to be done here. There's a work that needs to be done in your district. There's a work that needs to be done in this conference. There's a work that needs to be done in the North American division. But brothers and sisters, we have 118,000 denominationally paid employees in the NAD and just 280 in the Middle East North Africa Union. There needs to be a fundamental shift in the distribution of our workers. We need to look at that log and say, hey, there are already nine people over here. There's one over here. I'm going to go help that poor guy that's struggling. I'm going to help carry this message to the other parts of the world and do my part to hasten the second coming of Jesus. I'm encouraged by Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9 where the Bible says, And after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Get that vision in your mind. When we get to heaven, there will be people from all over the world that will be sitting and standing before the throne of God. And how thankful you will be that you were willing to, by God's grace, endure suffering like a good soldier. How thankful you will be that you are willing to make sacrifices in your life to give sacrificially to foreign missions and to support the Sabbath school offering. How thankful you will be to see those people who don't look like us, talk like us, eat like us, or act like us standing before the throne of God. You will say in the end, God, it was worth doing to have this. And as wonderful as heaven is going to be, and I'm looking forward to it, our real treasure are those that we take to heaven with us. Hmm. Won't that be a day of rejoicing? In Cairo, Egypt, there is a cemetery for American missionaries. And in that cemetery is the grave of William Borden. When William Borden graduated from high school, he came from a family of tremendous wealth. And his parents decided for his high school graduation gift that they bought him a ticket to tour the world. Sounds like a good gift, doesn't it? And as William Borden, at that very young age, late teens, early 20s, embarked upon this whirlwind adventure around the world, he was struck by the poverty and the need that he saw from place to place. He wrote back to his parents while he was on this trip that he had decided to become a missionary for the rest of his life. One of his friends, when he heard him say this, 
told him that he would be throwing away his life as a missionary. He came back to the States and went to Yale, earned a degree. But while he was at Yale, he was instrumental in influencing thousands of young people to go to the mission field. Finally, the day came for him to go to his respective place of service. He felt the call to the Muslims of China. And before he went to his territory that he felt God was calling him, he stopped off in Egypt to do some language learning there. And while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. In the back of his Bible, written by the hand of a man who left behind millions of dollars, prestigious job, He penned these words, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets because there's no nobler calling, nor no more prestigious job than being sent by Jesus as a light to the world etched in words that will last until the second coming on his tombstone are these. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Brothers and sisters, our church has been called for one reason. And Ellen White tells us what that is in Signs of the Time, December 9, of 1886, she says the mission of the church is to save souls. It's simple. That's our mission as soldiers of Christ marching, our fathers marching orders. Our mission that he has given to us is to save souls. That's the reason why we exist as a church. We do not exist for camp meeting. We do not exist to just have a church on the street corner like any other church. We do not exist for for reasons like that, to just make people better people. The purpose of our church's existence is to save souls. And it's not just people who get a salary who are the ones about uh, to be doing that. All of God's children who are claiming the name of Christ are called to this great mission to save souls. Hudson Taylor once said, the gospel commission is not an opinion to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. It is no different than the Ten Commandments. God gave us Ten Commands. You've heard it before. Not suggestions. Thou shalt not. They're commands. Do this. God gave us another command. Go. Don't sit idly, but go and be active. Do something that will advance the cause of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what that looks like in your life. And I'm not here to tell you that you, everybody needs to go to some far-flung part of the world. Now listen to me carefully. As God, if God is appealing for you to do that, you better do it. But if God is telling you to stay here because he has a work for you to do here, you better do that as well. It's not up to us to choose where God wants us to go. It's up to us to simply say, Father, I'll go where you want me to go. We sing that song on Sabbath morning, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. But do we really mean it in our hearts? Is it just an act of of worship, some sort of expression that makes us feel good, or is it something that we really believe? I'll go. Wherever you want me to go, Lord, 
That's where I'll go. Our marching orders. Jesus says, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And then he says what? Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would eject more workers into the field. Don't you want to be an answer to that prayer request? I leave you with one last statement that I wrote in early this morning as I was preparing for this message. Gospel Workers, page 465. She says this, to sow to show a liberal, self-denying spirit for the success of foreign missions is a sure way, listen to this, is a sure way to advance the home missionary work. Did you catch that? To show a liberal, self-denying spirit for the success of foreign missions is a sure way to advance the whole missionary work. Somehow we have gotten to the point in this part of the world that we think that it will advance the work if we keep to ourselves. She says the prosperity of the home work depends largely under God upon upon the reflux influence of the evangelical work done in countries afar off. The prosperity of the church at home depends upon the work that is done in far off countries. So you might be asking the question, what can I do? There's three things that you can do. You can pray, because I believe God can do mighty things when his people are praying. We've seen that already in our study this week. You can sacrificially give for the support of the work in unreached areas. Or you can go and help that one person on the heavy end of the log. You can pray for the workers, you can support the workers, or you can say, Lord, I'm able-bodied enough, I'll go. I'll be willing to step out in faith and take a step in the right direction that you are calling me to go. Now listen to me carefully, friends. Don't go if God's not calling you. You better be 100% sure that God has made it abundantly clear that this is where he's calling you to go. Do not respond out of this out of an emotional response. But if God makes that unquestionably clear to you, get up and go. And may God help us as we fulfill his marching orders to hasten the soon coming of Jesus. As I mentioned yesterday, we say it time and time again, I pray that this is our last camp meeting. And I do too. But there is a great work that needs to be done before this can be our last camp meeting. Now listen to me carefully. I believe that God can finish that work quickly. That is clearly illustrated in the book of Acts. When people were filled with the Holy Ghost and didn't allow anything to hold them back, no physical persecution, no religious persecution, no opposition, nothing held them back. When they were filled with Holy Ghost boldness and went forward with the everlasting gospel, they turned the world upside down in one generation without television, without the radio, without the internet. All great tools that we use for the advancement of the cause of God. But what God needs more than technology is converted men and women who are willing to do and live sacrificially for him. That will advance the cause of God like nothing else. I want to go home. I'm tired of this old world. Let us be about our Father's business. Would you say amen? How many of you this morning want to say, Father, I am willing. Show me what that looks like in my life. 
whether it be here or whether it be there, I don't care. I want to be a witness. How many of you want to say that this morning? Amen? Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father in heaven, oh Lord, forgive us for the wasted years. Forgive us, Lord, for when we have neglected our Father's marching orders and have been a curse instead of a blessing. Lord, may we learn the lesson from Israel. And may we, by your grace, take up the mantle of being a blessing wherever you take us to go. And Father, we raise our hands to you this morning, committing that we will go wherever you call us. And Lord, I pray that you would make that calling clear in each one of our lives. We long for nothing more than knowing that you are leading us and that we are in the center of your will. That's where we want to be, Lord. That's where we want to be. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to see the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to pick up our crosses and to follow you. Not complaining, but joyfully saying, what a privilege it is to be a worker for my Father. Father, thank you for this precious group of people here this morning who faithfully came morning after morning, sacrificing their early morning hours and their early morning routine to sit at your feet. Thank you, Father, for those who listened over the radio waves and the internet in their trailers and in their homes, who took the time out of their busy morning schedules to pause and to listen to the Word of God. Father, bless each one of them. As we pack up our bags and move to our respective places tomorrow, may our lives be so permeated with the Holy Spirit. We will go to our homes and to our fields of labor changed because of our encounter with Jesus. Thank you, Father, for faithfully blessing us morning by morning. And now I ask that this blessing will continue to reach throughout the rest of this day. Thank you. We ask it in the merciful and loving name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.